All right, open up your Bibles to the book of, you guys know where we're at? Where are we at in this series? Proverbs chapter 4, guard your heart. You remember that series we've been in? And we've been talking about what does it take to, to rule and dominion over the kingdoms of our hearts. And I had this quote sent to me from a member of the congregation. It was so poignant in light of uh, what we've been covering. A member of the church sent me this this week, and it's by Emily Freeman in her book, The Next Right Thing. See if you see the connection to what we've been talking about. We can start down that road of doubt and questioning if we want to, but just because the doubts show up doesn't mean you have to let them sit down. They won't linger if they're not welcome. Instead, hear this, when it comes to those unwelcome thoughts of doubt and discouragement, how about let's point them to the door. Let's make room for new thoughts to inhabit our minds, our thoughts of courage, hope, and belief. Well said, Emily. And so we've been talking about, right, this idea that part of what God has entrusted us as human beings with is an authority and a capability to reign and rule over the kingdoms of our lives. And that there's this range of our effective will. We've all got these kingdoms and we're put in charge to be in control. In a sense, part of our human DNA is to be a control freak. And one of the things to be a control freak over, we've got to get one kingdom right above all the other kingdoms. And Proverbs 4 tells us what that, what that is. Above all else, Solomon says, you got to guard your heart because it determines the course of your life. So it would be in the category, Solomon, the Proverbs would call it foolish to become so skilled at, at leading and ruling the kingdoms of work or the kingdoms at home or the kingdoms of our finances at the neglect of the most important kingdom of our life that we've got to take charge over. Some translations say with all diligence or vigilance, watch over the kingdom of your heart. And so two weeks ago, we talked about how do we do that against fear, that fear that seems to be just pounding at the doors of our heart these days. And Jesus said in John 14, that's what we looked at a couple weeks ago, they said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid that Jesus actually believes you can take command and authority. It doesn't mean you won't experience the emotion of fear, but in the words of Emily Freeman, you don't have to let it in and let it sit down in the living room. You don't have to invite it in. So it's a difference between experiencing the emotion of fear and letting it run in and out of our hearts. And we talked about that from John 14. And then last week we talked about how do we guard our hearts from hate, from acrimony, from strife, from discord, from all that seems to be pounding at the doors of our hearts these days. And we talked about out of 1 John chapter 2, how John equated light and darkness and the difference between hate and love. And we talked about this, we're just going to work kind of the muscles this week of in every domain, in every kingdom that we're put in charge of, that we're going to abolish hate and invoke love. So we're just going to abolish hate and invoke love wherever we're at. That's a, in our marriage, in our work, in our parenting, we're just going to abolish hate and invoke love and then broader across our culture and in our world. So we talked about what does it mean to guard our hearts against fear and guard our hearts against hate. And today we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. If you haven't pulled out your message note, you can scan the QR code. Online folks, your host can get you the notes there. Be helpful if you have the notes pulled up in front of you. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Today we're looking at guarding our hearts against despair. What I'm calling a posture of resignation. 
that place where you just lose hope. And Paul says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired, circle that in your Bibles, despaired, even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, I want you to underline this phrase, we felt the sentence of death. So I think that phrase in verse 9, the sentence of death, is Paul's description of despair in verse 8. Like, you want to know what does Paul mean by despair? It means when you feel the sentence of death in your hearts. It's when you adopt a posture of resignation that says, the best is over. Joy is over. The life that I once knew is completely over. There's never going to be any brighter days ahead. It's just kind of is what it is. You just put your head down and you gut it out. It's that feeling of the sentence of death that can fall on our hearts. And no shock that the National Institute of Mental Health has been doing some studies lately. You want to take a guess at how the charts are going when it comes to suicide, when it comes to mental health-related anxiety and depression, domestic violence? They said they're not prepared to release their full study yet because they need more data, and I read it that. I think you probably got plenty of data right now to release. Everything is up and to the right in the midst since about mid-March. When restrictions and lockdown and quarantine and cancellation and endings and disappointment and heartbreak and disappointment just keeps coming wave after wave. And it's like an assault on the human heart. Does anybody feel this? It's like in the air that we're breathing. It's thick in the atmosphere. You don't have to go looking for something to be despairing about. You don't have to go looking for something to feel the sentence of death kind of pounding at our hearts. As a matter of fact, I thought that phrase in verse 8 might be a a summary for some of us and how we feel about 2020. We're under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. Has anybody felt like that in 2020? It's felt at least six years long, and it's been a little over six to seven months since the full wave of the pandemic hit, but we went from global pandemic to now the social and racial unrest and all the social justice issues, and then into this economic fallout and job loss and the ripple effect through all kinds of companies, and then And then the last wave, now we're thrust into a political and election cycle that just, it's just this this churning, right? There's just this, it's like, how many times say, Lord, and then if you live down along the Gulf Coast, you get a hurricane thrown in there, or if you live out west, you've got all the mountain fires going in. You can't hardly stand to pick up your phone and look at the headlines anymore because it's like emotional PTSD on the heart. That's 2020. That's where you say it's far beyond our own ability to endure. It's when he, Paul says, I'm despairing even of life. It's when I feel the sentence of death. So that's on a macro level what's been going on. So you put just in the atmosphere charged with that, combined just with our everyday life challenges that we were just praying about. When you get news from the doctor you didn't expect to get when you have some challenges at home, when you have a meeting with your boss and you find out your job is over, when you look at your bills and you say the expenses far outweigh the income, when you look at that everyday life stuff. So you put those two things together, does anybody feel this 
kind of rampaging against the door of your heart? I like to think of myself as a fairly optimistic person. I tend to not struggle much with like depression and those kind of cycles like that. But I'm going to tell you, church, like the last few months, I've just been so emotionally and mentally fatigued like kind of drifting into this place of why am I so depressed about this? And I think once I got into this passage more, I think, I think the Lord's helped me say, hey, this is what's pounding at the door of your heart. Like there's this unleashing across the globe in 2020 of all those dynamics combined with just the everyday life challenges that we all face. And the sequence and the combination of that is this. It's despair. It's trying to get us in our despair we form agreements with the sentence of death. And here's how the agreements go. Up, oh, joy's just over. Hope's just over. Life's just over. Whatever I had planned, it's all just over. It's just the next thing's going to be canceled. Don't even bother planning for this or that. It's just going to get canceled anyway. You adopt this posture where you just, kind of, you just kind of form these agreements in your despair with the sentence of death. And it leads you to a place. Here's how Proverbs 13 puts it, 13, 12, I put this in your notes. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Wow, that's a commentary on 2020. Our hearts are feeling, they're just fatigued, they're a bit sick, they're weary because there's just been this barrage upon them. There's been a relentless wave of fear and hate and despair, and it just keeps coming over and over. And look what Proverbs, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. So there's this attrition that happens when you just go from one string of disappointments after another. It's like an attrition factor. It just kind of wears you down. And then your hopes deferred, it makes your heart sick. You just kind of give up on, on pursuing what, what's the second half of the verse? The longing fulfilled. So you just kind of give up of uh, no point of just going for that anymore when that's going to be your tree of life. Do you see the cycle? It's like your heart gets sick. You just kind of throw your hands up the air in your despair, form agreements with the sentence of death, just kind of give up on anything that's ever, just put your head down and just grind it through. It's never going to get any better. And then you kind of release this vision of a longing fulfilled, and that's going to be your tree of life to bring your heart back to life. And that's the cycle we're all in. And so what I want to spend the remainder of the message is, well, what do we do about this? Like, how do we, like, practically, if this is what's pounding, if as this is what's trying to knock down the door of all of our hearts, what are we going to do about it? How do we fight back and guard our hearts from the sentence of death? So in your notes, I put two things. The first thing is I think we need to examine the fruit of our activities. And here's the question we ask in that. Ask, how is it affecting your heart? Here's how Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 7. By their fruit, you will recognize them. So here's what we do real practically now. So for me, it's like I've been practically typed like the news cycle. So if I examine the amount of time I spend immersed in the news cycle and then how that affects my heart, I don't come away from the news cycle overly hope-filled, light-hearted, like having a great sense of freedom. Like, I don't, that's not how I, I generally feel like, you know, I just need to go on a good prayer walk after that. Or so, I mean, I... So here's what I've decided to do. I've just decided I'm going to examine the activities. Like, I think I've got too much exposure to the news stuff going on in the world. I need to dovetail that down some, and I need to uptick some better influences on my heart. 
And so ask yourself activity. Maybe for some of you it's Facebook or Instagram or wherever you're getting your news feed or TikTok for some of you younger folk. Like wherever the dissemination of current realities is given. How's it affecting your heart? And some questions I wrote for myself that I offer to you is, as you pay attention to where you're spending your time and your energy and your attention, on the other side of that, are you more hopeful? Do you have a greater sense of freedom? Is there a lightening of the burdens of your life? Or maybe the most important one, does this activity strengthen my union with Jesus? Does it strengthen it or not? And so the first real practical thing we do when when despair's slamming at the door of our heart is let's examine the activities of our life. Let's judge them by their fruit and talk about how they're affecting our heart. And we're going to have to probably place some rightly placed yeses and some rightly placed noes in this. So as I put in your notes, what are those life-giving, soul-breathing activities that we need to say yes to right now? You have a good handle on that? If you're married, that'd be a good thing to have a conversation over lunch maybe today and just talk about what are those things for you, life-giving and soul-breathing activities that help just bring some of the lightheartedness to your heart, help bring a sense of freedom, breathe hope, strengthen your union with Jesus, and then the opposite we need to talk about too. What are those life-draining, soul-deflating activities that you need to say no to or at least you know, dovetail down the influences. So first thing we need to do, examine the fruit of our activities and make adjustments accordingly. And then secondly, we need to exercise the authority and freedom that we've been given to pursue hope. And Psalm 42 is our greatest. I think Psalm 42 is an outstanding example in the scriptures of someone putting Proverbs 4.23 into practice. The psalmist is putting the guard your heart with all diligence in practice because look how it's portrayed here. Psalm 42, here's what the psalmist says, verse 5 and following. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? There's what's banging at the door. Anybody else would pray? I read those words. Yeah. Why am I downcast? Why so disturbed? Why so discouraged? Look what he says. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Notice how the psalmist is acknowledging the difference between feeling disturbed, feeling downcast, feeling discouraged, and then actually, like Emily Freeman says, you don't have to invite that in and let it settle down in your heart. You can deal with it while it's at the door. You remember Thomas Akempis a couple weeks ago, Akempis quote, I think I put it back in your notes, when he said that the enemy is far more easily resisted when he's at the door. That's this. So the psalm is saying, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Why so discouraged? Why so depressed? Why am I down this cycle? And so the psalmist is acknowledging he's feeling that. That's part of being human. We're going to go through seasons. We're going to go through experiences. We're going to have 20, 20 kinds of stretches of life. And when that happens, we're going to feel this. And now we step forward. Notice what he does is he takes charge over the dominion of his heart. And he says, I'm not going to let that run in and out and set up camp and have its way in my heart. I'm not going to. I'm going to put my hope in God. You see that? He just says, put your hope in God. That's where he's working those muscles. And earlier in the psalm, he said, my tears have been my food day and night. Wow. There's the language of someone who's bound up in despair and have feeling the sentence of death having their way in their heart. Tears, food, day and night. And you know you're battling it there when that's the commentary, right? That's, that's Chuck and Stephanie Asheriff this weekend, no doubt, tons of tears filling that family since Friday night. 
That might be Norma Jean and family since getting the news. That's certainly been the Coley family over the last few weeks as Deanne Coley walking the halls at the hospital in Fort Wayne, tears being her food day and night. Or it could be the young couple who's been longing to have a baby and continuing to cry out and month after month, pregnancy test comes back negative and the womb remains barren. Tears, food, day and night. Or maybe it's someone you've been trying to walk through rehab and recovery and you just feel like you're taking some steps forward with them only to see them relapse over and over and over again. Tears, your food, day and night. Oh, my soul, why are you so disturbed? Why are you downcast? Why are you discouraged? Why are you disappointed? Because all of that is running into the doors of the heart. And then in response to that, he says, I'm going to put my hope in God. I love what Martin Lloyd-Jones says about this whole section. And Martin Lloyd, I put the quote in your notes because I thought it was something you may want to reference later. Here's how he says it. He says, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment, speaking about Psalm 42, was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, he says. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. I love that. Right? I think we need a good healthy dose of that these days. Self, right? Hey, I'm going to speak to you. Put your hope in God. In the midst of all the circumstances, in the midst of all the darkness, in the midst of all the discouragement, the psalmist says there's reason to hope in God. And that's what Paul gets at. You notice in, in 2 Corinthians 1, I stopped Those of you who got your thumb on that part of your Bible, I stopped before the second half of the verse because here's Paul doing the Psalm 42 type thing. Here's how Paul put it in 2 Corinthians 1 when he said, hey, it's far beyond our ability to endure. He's despairing even of life. There's he's acknowledging the battle. And indeed, we feel the sentence of death. Now look, but this happened. See the second half of verse 9. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, underline this, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope, for He will continue to deliver us. Do you see this, church? This is what, this one I call like a stubbornness. Like there has to be a stubbornness in governing the kingdom of your heart. If you're going to become a governor and a governess over the kingdom of your heart, you're going to have to get really stubborn about it. You're going to have to put your foot down at times. You're going to have to fight for hope at times. You're going to have to say, fear, you can't have my heart. Hatred, you can't have my heart. Despair, You can't have my heart. It doesn't mean you won't feel the barrage of those things, but there's a stubbornness deep down. And what does Paul say? He says, the weight of what's banging at the door of our heart is supposed to thrust us from self-reliance to call out to God. Do you see that? He says, hey, the dynamics, like us trying to manage through all that 2020 is, is anybody else thinking that could it be God calling out to humanity? Could it be? 
Could it be God at least calling out to North America? I suspect beyond North America. But could it be? Could it be that as a nation, God is saying, I'm crying out, I'm calling out to you to say, stop relying on yourself. Stop turning to yourself. Stop using your own wisdom and strength and turn to the God who raises the dead. Could it be? Could it be that this is our moment? That in the midst of all that's barraging against the doors of our heart is to say, you know what? At some point, church, we got to get to the end of ourselves. And as a nation, man, self, self's way up the chain, if not at the top of the stack. And could it be that God's saying, hey, self way up there, it needs to, it needs to bow. It needs to come down off the throne. You got to stop relying on self. And you got to turn to the God who raises the dead. So whatever it is you come into the service with, feeling the full sentence of death, feeling despair raging at the heart, just kind of rampaging across the terrain of our culture as well as the terrain of your own heart. You've been feeling the weight of that? Here's the ultimate antidote for despair. Resurrection. Put your hope in God. How? Because God gets the last word. God gets the last word. Hey, cancer's not going to get the last word. It's not. God's going to get the last word. Amputation of arms is not going to get the last word. Jesus is going to get the last word. Job loss, not going to get the last word. Jesus gets the last word. Marriage trauma, not going to get the last word. Jesus is going to get the last word. Resurrection is where the grounds for our hope are, and resurrection pushes back against despair. Even if for 70, 80, 90 years in this life, a lot of things don't get sorted out the way they need to get sorted out. Here's where I put our hope in God, how? (laughs) That there's a day coming, church. There's a day coming when injustice and evil and darkness and suffering and sin and death and pain and suffering. It all has an end date. It has an end date. And because it has an end date, we can put our hope in God who raises the dead. And so I don't know, maybe in your journey, it's been a whole bunch of stuff, just one wave after another. And could it be that this morning it's time to hit your knees, abandon self-reliance and say, you know what, God? I'm going to take rule and authority and dominion over the domain of my heart. And I'm going to decide right now with stubbornness deep down, fear, you can't have my heart. Hatred, you can't have my heart. And despair, you can't have my heart. I'm going to Put my hope in God who raises the dead. You can decide that right now. And in that, you anchor yourself in resurrection when all that's wrong in this dark and sorry world gets set right. Because current is not eternal. And man, do we need that word in 2020. This is not the way it's always going to be. Because if I understand this book right, hope wins.
Grace wins, love wins, light wins, <laughs> grace wins, life wins because Christ wins. Because Christ gets the last word. And so let's pray that for each other. Let's pray together. Jesus, we just want to pray that into situations right now. We just pray that into the Coley family. We pray that into Asherah family. We pray that into Norma Jean Evans. We pray that into the dozens and dozens of other situations. Marriage struggles and family difficulties and job loss and financial uncertainty and whatever else that's been weighing on the heart. Right now, we just put our hope in God. We say, fear you can't have. You have no rights. We banish fear in Jesus' name. And we banish hatred in Jesus' name. We invoke love in every dominion that we have authority over. We invoke love and banish hate. And today, we ask for a ministry of your spirit that pushes back all the waves of despair. Would you just break every agreement that we've made with a sentence of death. Just break it in Jesus' name and lift our eyes up. Even as the circumstances may point to not a lot of things to be overly hopeful about, would you lift our eyes up to see that you're the God who raises the dead and we can put our hope in you. Just breathe it into us by the Holy Spirit. Put our hope in you, Lord. You're gonna get the last word. And with that, you're going to set it right. That healing's going to win. And life is going to win. And light is going to win. And justice is going to win. And peace is going to win. We just cling to you, our resurrected Christ, today. And as a community of faith, we just ask you to help us now by the Holy Spirit. Be very wise and diligent and vigilant to guard our hearts. Help us guard our hearts. Above all else, help us do that, Lord. And we'll trust you to determine the course of our life through that. In Jesus' holy name, amen. All right, there's a way you can submit some prayer requests. So you can scan the QR code in this room. Online hosts can direct you online. We'd love for you to submit. Let us know how we can be praying. There's certainly situations and circumstances we're all going through. I'm reminded years ago, I think it was an older pastor who told me, he said, hey, young man, don't forget every single person you lock eyes with is going through some personal battle on some level. And so everybody's going through something. And we want to be the kind of community that prays for one another, stands with each other, supports each other. So let us know how we can be doing that through the prayer requests that way. And just a few other things before uh, the benediction this morning. We've got a worship night coming up on Wednesday night this week. So if you've never been a part of our Wednesday night worship nights, we're going to be outside this week, Lord willing. I think the forecast looks good. We're going to be on the north side of the building out here. We're going to set up a stage outside in the lawn area there. So bring your lawn chairs and we'll be able to spread out nicely and uh, hopefully just have a great hour of worshiping God together this Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. Invite your friends and be a part of that. We've got 
two discipleship classes starting up. We've got Alpha class, and uh, Julia's leading a class on intro to the book of Genesis. You can go to eaglechurch.com slash events, sign up for those things. Those will be great next steps uh, for some of you looking to plug in in your discipleship and spiritual growth. And then we've got a baptism service September 27th. I think we've got three people who've already expressed interest in being baptized. I think all three are choosing kind of baptism off-site in other settings. So we're going to do some video recordings of those. And then on the 27th, we're going to show you that footage and celebrate with the broader body that way. So again, if you'd like to get baptized, an important step in our walk in obedience to Jesus, eaglechurch.com slash events. There's a form there. That's how you initiate the process. And then we'll be in touch with you on the details following that. And then lastly, if you're just newer here, newer to the Eagle family, whether in our physical gatherings or online, uh, we'd like to get to know you more and we'd like to connect with you and help you take some next steps. So please let us know online how we can do that. And then in this room, there's a place out in the atrium. There's a big sign on the wall that says new here. There's some folks there to give you a gift bag, give you some free stuff and answer some questions you have on your way out. We'd love to have you stop there. So let's stand together. Benediction this morning is from Romans 1513. In the book of Romans, it's kind of one of the classic benedictions in the letter itself. And this is how Paul says it. Now may the God of hope, may the God of all hope, fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Go in his name. Amen.